Yo, and welcome to the LOP Show. This is... Leadership on Purpose. And I am Blake Bozarth, and this is my son... Bear. And today he's helping me with the intro, guys. We have another incredible guest for you today. I am fired up. It was one of the better episodes that I've ever been able to record with a guy named Devin Klein. Devin is the founder, along with his wife, of Burn Bootcamp. And if you know about Burn Bootcamp, they have over 300 locations across 30 plus states. And the enterprise value of this organization is over $500 million. That's half a billion with a B. And it's just an incredible story. So he has humble beginnings coming from a broken home, parents that abandoned him early in his life, and the way that he's turned that pain into purpose and what he's, and what he's done in his life and in his, in his work is truly incredible. Today, the practical piece that you're going to get from this is how to make decisions for big changes in your organization. He has a system that he leverages, and he walks you through it step by step, and he gives you some great examples. He starts with the 65% rule. So how do you avoid analysis paralysis? I think you're going to really appreciate that. He also talks about this image of having two chairs in the room, something that you can totally leverage no matter where you are in the organization to be thinking through this the same way. And he also has a great nugget around limiting, putting an artificial limit on himself as to the answers that he gives in meetings with his team versus questions that he asks. Question asking is an incredible skill that as a leader, it's, it's, it's something you definitely want to hone in on and develop. He talks about the funnel of starting with broad questions and being able to funnel down into more specific questions. There are so many nuggets in this episode. It's very inspiring. I think you're going to love it. If you do, what do we ask you? Be a river, not a reservoir. Who could you share this with that would also get value from it as well? And without further ado, let's jump into the, the show. show. All right. We are super excited to have Devin Klein join us on the show today. Devin, welcome to Leadership on Purpose. Blake and Chad, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're going we're gonna to jam. Um, hey, we're going to hit you with our patented question, man, and that is, can you tell us a little bit about you and your career in 60 seconds? Yeah, no, definitely. I grew up in Battle Creek, Michigan. I come from a chaotic, you know, broken home. My father in and out of prison. My mom abandoned our family at a young age. And so I was on my own as a, as a boy. And uh, when I was 12, I met the love of my life, Morgan, and we're married today. We run our company together. Uh, but I had entrepreneur DNA from the get. I had a business um, when I was 11, 12, 13, 14 years old called 20 Minute Snow Removal. And contract my friends to shovel driveways as I knocked on doors and, and kind of rolled that in when I was 16 into an eBay car ob- arbitrage flipping game. And so uh, then I set all that down to go play baseball at Central Michigan University and continue my career with the San Francisco Giants, chasing my big league dreams, uh, ended up getting released. And this was in 2011. And uh, I didn't want to work for anybody else. Uh, and so I went out and I created a uh, a little company called Lightning 900 in Naples, Florida. Morgan worked for Kellogg's at the time we were together. She moved up to Charlotte. I followed her and I started Burn Bootcamp uh, in a parking lot in 2012 with 600 bucks to our name. We franchised in 2015. Today in 2023, uh, we'll, we'll have 384 plus uh, you know, gyms open. That's how many we have today. And we'll do 210 uh, million in sales or more. And so it's been quite, quite a wild ride, I, I assure you. Um, that I am the most surprised person in my circle, 
that I never thought it would happen this fast and this um, and, and, and this soundly, but we're here now, you know, and so we're going to take advantage of every opportunity that we have. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. I cannot wait to dive in further on this. Devin, one other question, given your, your entrepreneurial mindset, but what is your favorite book of all time and why? My favorite book of all time is Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins, because that is the first full book that I ever read. I, I kid you guys not, I was, I was a, I had a big league mindset. I wasn't worried about business. I didn't even know what the word entrepreneur meant, but I was an entrepreneur and I had the DNA. And so as soon as I read Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins, big old thick book like this big, I'd like ate up every word of it. I still used a lot of that. So that was my first one. Well, prior to that, the only thing I ever read was The Tale of Two Wolves. We can get into that if you want. But having no mentors growing up, I was hungry for like, I was hungry for principle and philosophy and, and maxim. And so, yeah, that two, Tale of Two Wolves, actually got it tatted on my arm, was my first thing that I ever read uh, outside of like a, a baseball book or a pitching book or something like that. I love it. You can't go wrong with Tony Robbins, one of the best in the game. That's right. That's too good. I, I, I love the rationale too. One of the first books I ever read, cover to cover. And they, it means it had to be good, right? So, hey, this is great. So the meat of our topic today, we're getting into decision-making and how you make big decisions and, and how you choose, hey, is this, is this the right way to take my company? Is this the right way to move the business? Is the right way to take the organization? And I think it will speak to a lot of leaders because I know you have a rigorous process that you go through to actually think, hey, does this make sense? Is this worth, is this worth embarking down this road? And no matter if those listening have your own business, if you're an entrepreneur or if you're leading in an organization, I think the principles and what you'll share today is actually very applicable when it comes to change management and leading change in general. So let me tee you up with this, Devin. That is, as, as you consider making some kind of big change, what, what goes through your head? Like what's, what's the context for how do you, how do you approach it? Well, since I started reading, I read that Money Master the Game book, I just kept that train rolling because I just love the person that I was becoming as I was consuming this knowledge. So I've been studying two hours a day, every day at Self University on my own time with books and YouTube and audiobooks and, and you name it, whatever I can get my hands on. I came across a book uh, by Colin Powell that was a recommendation from a friend. And, he, and obviously he was talking about war, right? And so the foundation of how I make decisions comes from, and I think all entrepreneurs should take a page out of uh, Colin Powell's playbook uh, because business should be treated more like war. And let me explain what I mean by that, that in war, you know, you don't have all of the data ever, right? You don't have, and you have like zero time. A lot of times in business, we think we need all of the data in order to make an informed decision or that we have an unlimited amount of time to run scenarios and models and predictions and all these things. Business is more like war and we need to have about 65% of the possible data inputs and realize that you don't have any time because the person behind you, the 10,000 other people that have the same exact idea that you do, they uh, are using their intuition and intuition is the entrepreneur's best friend in my opinion. And so I, I, Really took a page out of Colin Powell's book of, off the back of a recommendation from a good buddy of mine. And I about 65% of the data is all I need. I don't need any time. Give me the data. I'll read through it and I'll use my that data to inform my intuition. But ultimately, it's my intuition that makes up my decision-making 
process. It's I can't sit back and be indifferent because if you're indifferent, somebody's going to fly right by you in this game. And you guys know that, right? So that's, that's one principle. And then the second principle that I would share with you is, is there's, and this is, this is like, like I said, I read and I don't like to be one of those people that read something and then takes it on as if like I made it up. I see entrepreneurs in this space doing that all the time. It's like, come on, just give the person that made this up that you read seven years ago, give them credit for it where credit's due and then have your own articulated opinion on top of that. But I'm always going to shout out and give credit. So, you know, Howard Schultz is a big hero of mine because, and I read his book Onward and you know, if you look at Howard Schultz and my career, we're very similar, right? We are shifting the paradigm of our industries through community-based service, like coffee as a service, that wasn't even a thing, right? Writing your name on the cup and, you know, having Wi-Fi in the building that they weren't selling coffee. Coffee's actually not that great. They were selling, it was often burnt. If you guys remember that back in the day, like there was a stretch of time where the Starbucks coffee was burnt. But the Wi-Fi was free and the people were awesome and there was names on your cups and you knew the baristas and the baristas could, they could, you know, they could uh, be creative with the way that they would create your drinks, right? And so there was a soul and there was a feeling of, you know, my teammates are really important here. The, the constituents at the unit level or the store level, the store managers, they're really important here. And so he was talking about how he executes on his leadership meetings and his executive leadership meetings. And he had this phenomenal strategy and it's a perceptive strategy. And I took it right from his playbook and we use this every, what we call L10 meeting. We use it every meeting and it's the following. It's that we have two extra chairs in the room. We have two extra chairs in our leadership meeting. I promise you one of those chairs are not for competition. Uh, we do not let our competition sit in our meetings and dictate the future of our business. But what we do do is we allow our franchisee or what we call our franchise partner and our member we have two chairs and they're wide open. And each one of those chairs represents those people. And we have one goal and one goal only as we're making these big million dollar decisions in our company. Will this decision make these two people healthier and happier? Will they be proud of us? Will they respect the decision that we made? I've noticed I'm not saying, will they agree? I'm saying, will they be proud? Will they, will they stand behind us? Is, it, is it, this a decision that the company uh, uh, is it aligned with the company core values, if you will? So, yeah, and there's some criteria that I have that we I can really get into. But as an entrepreneur, I'll just say this: that you are tasked with the hardest. You're tasked with the hardest thing, right? It's the hardship of change. Yeah. Why is it hard? Because change must happen. If change doesn't happen, you're going to get kicked in the in the behind by those ten thousand people I was talking about, and Okay, so that's the hard place. And the rock is that people hate change. So you have to change the rock and uh, people hate change the hard place. You're in a rock and hard place. It's like, okay, this is why entrepreneurship is a blessing and also a burden. So to be a great entrepreneur, to be a great innovator, to be, to have, to have a successful company, you've got to have change management practices that, uh, that are crucial to ease that burden of change for people. And to really change the company or a better word I like to use is evolve the company, right? Through the core of the company, not chasing new shiny objects. That's not how we're evolving. We're evolving through the core of who we are. Our core focus is what we call it to inspire, empower, transform people's lives through community-based fitness. And so now you can start to see some of these principles put together 
as I actually go to approach a, a list of criteria to make the actual decision, you know, we've got to have a premeditated game plan or a set of principles to stand on before we can ever go in and start to say, okay, now what questions are we going to ask to make sure this is the right decision? I love that. If you wait until you have all the information, it's too late. So Craig, Craig Rochelle talks about that. I don't know if you know Craig Rochelle, one of my heroes. He's like, if you're 100% sure about something, you can guarantee that you waited too long, right? So I love that, like that rule of thumb that you had, like 65%. What's the 65% and, and just spending some time in, in corporate, especially, um, Devin, it's, it's amazing how analysis paralysis can take over an organization, right? You can always, you can always be looking for the new data and like, oh, what about this? Or what about that? Or, oh, well, let's look at it this way next time. And before you know it, something that could have taken a couple of weeks to make a good decision on, you're now looking and you're, you're half a year half a year in already, how would you actually advise other leaders to avoid that pitfall of analysis paralysis in their organization? Well, I would advise them to avoid analysis by or paralysis by analysis by a very simple concept that perfectionism is not a virtue. So many people stand on perfectionism as it's something that they like want to hang their hat on. Well, I'm a perfectionist, so it took me three extra weeks. Like, it wasn't perfect three weeks later. So what's the point of being a perfectionist? And, you know, I just don't, I think that it's, you know, I heard, um, I've heard this all over the place and I think it's, and I think it's true that, you know, the great entrepreneurs, they take 200 shots and they're willing to miss a hundred rather than take 50 and make 50, right? It's, it, it's as simple as that. It's the volume game of the more shots that you take, the more you're going to hit. I mean, that's the content game nowadays. Right. If you want to be if you want to be great at content, putting out one video a day, you're going to get swept off the face of the planet. Nobody's ever going to see your stuff because all the algorithms are promoting, you know, multiple posts, consistent posts every single day. And if you're not doing that, if you're not getting in front of people, you're ultimately, you know, becoming irrelevant. So it's the same principle just applied in a, in a different world. I know that's not where, what we're talking about here today, but, you know, I think great philosophy scale across business. I think it scales across different divisions or different sectors or segments of the industry. I love that you talk about the importance of one focusing on, you have your two chairs, right? So you're focusing on your franchisee. And what I heard from you there is just that radical focus on who you're impacting. Um, and I think about a book, Team of Teams by Stanley McChrystal. I don't know if you've read it, but he talks about how they change joint special task force to basically overcome Al-Qaeda. They were getting their butts kicked in Iraq. And what he realized is organizationally, the Marines uh, kind of function like a lot of big companies today where this, the information flows up to a small group of leaders and the leaders make a decision and it flows back down. But that was taking too long because their opponent was not operating that way. They were operating with this radical empowerment and shared purpose and they were letting people make decisions. And so they were actually the, the group on top was driving information to the people on the ground and letting them make the decision. So I kind of see that as what you're doing um, with, with your franchisees being radically focused on equipping them to be able to make decisions for the members. And so I, I'm just curious, like, how do you encourage them when it's a radically changing environment and things like that to, to kind of like, how do you breed that culture into your franchisees as well? Well, breeding, breeding that the culture of trust into the franchise system is paramount. I mean, so look at it this way. It's like, if I, if I make people, okay, let me back up. So I believe the following, I have to start here. I believe that 
business is speed. And I believe that speed is trust. And so therefore I don't have time to make everyone earn my trust. Plus who the hell am I anyway to make people earn my trust? Like, was that some ego driven mindset that I had that I'm so good that people have to earn my trust? No, I give it away. I give my trust away to you. If you, if you uh, were able to do what it takes to meet our high standards, to be able to join our team, you, that process is the process of earning that trust. And so as soon as you step into our organization, you get it. If I award a franchise to you as a franchise partner, you get my trust. If I were, if you come on as my content creator, you get my trust. If you come on as our VP of marketing or media, you get my trust. Now it gets taken away faster than light speed. I'll tell you that. But here's the key, here's the key, accountability. So many organizations, you know, don't trust people because they're unwilling themselves to hold people accountable. And if I don't hold people accountable, they're never going to learn from those mistakes that they make. They're tripping. They need to trip over themselves, in my opinion, in order to learn rather than me getting in front of them, making the decision for them. They never have an opportunity to learn if they don't feel the pain from the a wrong decision that they made. And if they fear that I'm going to fire them or reprimand them or calm down them in a negative way for making the wrong decision, as long as it was a, a character, egregious decision, right? And then it was some it was some fundamental operational infrastructure, you know, or lack of decision that they made. You follow me? It's like, it's a logical one, or it's like a character flaw one. There's a separation there, of course, but I give them the trust because I want them to make the mistakes. If they fail, great. That little failure, that little bump in the road for the company is going to be minuscule to the amount of value that that failure brings to that person's life. And they're going to hate it because they don't want to suck at their job. I'm going to hold them accountable, right? Because that's what great leaders do. They hold people accountable to the company standards and the standards that people gave to them in the first place. And then they're going to go out and they're going to execute. They're not going to make the same mistake twice because they don't want to be held accountable like that again. And so I think it's just a lot of, it's a lot of times in corporate America and, you know, as startups emulate big companies, they get it backwards and they feel like everybody's got to earn my trust and I need to make all the decisions. Good luck catching us on that because we're growing. This is why we're growing so fast, right? It's because everybody in the organization has that level of trust. They're able to make those decisions, not in a silo, uh, but they're able to make those decisions and uh, therefore building their own, comp building the confidence in themselves. I just want to underscore that, Devin. Uh, recently came across a leader, a, a vice president that was hiring a, a director level role and literally tells the individual they're hiring as they're coming into the company, with me, you start with zero trust and you have to earn it. That's the exact wrong thing to do. And, 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 and what you just laid out there, I love the way you ended that. It's like good luck catching us if you're doing that that way because you are running an empowered organization, which means that a great leader, it may not be comfortable, but yes, you're the one who extends trust first. You have to do that. And, and if somebody proves untrustworthy after you've, held them accountable and, and coached them, then guess what? The buck stops with you as a leader once again. If they prove untrustworthy, then you need a team that you can trust, right? But you have to extend the trust. And if, and if somebody's not operating from a sense of trust being given to them, it's really hard for them to feel empowered. It's really hard for them to actually drive meaningful value and change because they're, they're fearful and they feel like they have so much to prove. Um, so I love that. I love where you went. I want to get us into, because I know you have a system, you have a way of thinking about this, and I, I know you have a few questions that you go through as you make big decisions. And so 
if you would, Devin, would you walk us through maybe rapid fire? Like, what are those questions that you ask? And then I know you have, you've recently made a big investment yeah. decision. Maybe you could like dig into a few of those and show us how you leverage that framework. Yeah, definitely. So let me tee up the example first, and then I'll go through, I'll go through kind of the, the way that I think about getting to the core of the issue, the core of the problem, making sure that this, you know, this big amount of money we're about to spend is actually worth it. And so, you know, with Bird Bootcamp, we, you know, we're now at 384 gyms. We're getting in, we're getting out of the SMB space and into the large business space. And one of the uh, key indicators of going from SMB to large business is that you own your own data, that you build your own operational data store, that all the data funnels in and that you own it. You're the steward of that data to then be able to reinform the business, create predictive analytics, uh, pr provide a more personalized experience to members as we get larger as a company. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why. And so we are crossing that bridge, um, which by the way, is an expensive bridge to cross. And so my level of scrutiny went up like through the roof. And I actually had a few of these questions on the smaller decisions that I would make. Uh, but I really added to make a complete list ahead of this uh, app that we just launched. So we did, we did the following. So we created two apps. We created a a, a new, brand new Burn Bootcamp app that now has digital territories that mirror our physical territories that our franchise partners now sell all of our product and service ecosystem inside of their digital territory. I don't know if you guys can find a company that's done that. We couldn't. We thought that would be a, a fantastic idea to make sure that that territory in an omni-channel world was now monetized by the person that liquidated their 401k and rolled the dice on this brand to be able to, you know, quit corporate America and be their own boss, right? So I've got this fiduciary responsibility to them. That was the purpose of building an app. And then also as we scale, our white labeled app that we used to have didn't, it wouldn't personalize the way we needed to personalize because our business is that. It's an emotionally tangible business. Confidence is a skill. We train people to gain more confidence every day. We wanted to get closer with them. So that's one side of it. The other side was the uh, business analytics side, the business intelligence side, and having this one-two punch so that when franchisees would sell something online or they'd sell a or one of our new digital memberships in Burn On Demand, then they would actually be able to go to a platform, a reporting platform, in which we take, had taken care of all their reporting needs because we have this underlying system, which is the steward of our own data. And so now if they sold something online while they were sleeping, they can wake up the next day and see it in their business intelligence report, okay? So setting the stage for how big and how complex of a project this was, I was about a two, two and a half million dollar project somewhere in there, all in. And uh, we just launched it in October 2nd. I've been working on it for like two and a half years. And so two and a half years ago, we went through this following process, okay? It's like, there was no need to campaign for this unless I could ab absolutely answer Yes, 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 11 times over to all these 11 questions. If there was a, even a doubt or an inkling of a no, then it is not worth it. It was not going to be worth it. So here's the 11 questions. You ready for them? All right. Hit so us. number one, will this change benefit consumers? Is this a benefit to the consumer? Number one, we're radically people first focused. It's got to help them. Okay, check that box. Number two, does this change align with our core values? Core value, number one, people first. Number two, pride and results. Number three, integrity. Number four, authenticity. Check all four of those boxes. Data, integrity, authenticity and numbers, doing what we say we're going to do. Pride and results, 
for you as a franchise partner. We want to make sure you're getting as much revenue as you can. And, and then obviously people first putting them in their pockets ahead of our own. Number three, and I'll go through these faster. The first three are the, the fundamental ones. But is this change solving a specific and clear problem? Meaning that we should never try to optimize something that should never even be there. And if we can't answer what this clear and specific problem that this change is actually solving, then we're going to do, we're going to over-engineer the project and we're going to be building things that aren't useful to people. And there is no worse feeling than making a huge change that takes a bunch of time, effort, energy, money that when you roll out falls flat because it doesn't solve the right problem. All right. So those are the first three, and then I'll go through the rest of them pretty quickly. And if you guys wanted to like elaborate on any of them, then, then you could, okay? So it's uh, number four, do you have the buy-in from the top 25% of your organization? Whatever that means, because you can't do this in a silo, can't be alone. Number five, can we test the change before committing to the change? Is there a test environment available so that we can figure out the roadblocks ahead before we get there? Number six, do we have the resources to make the change? Do we have the people? Do we have the profit? Do we have the processes? Are we ready, right? Is this the right time? Is it a timing thing? Number seven, is this change reversible? Because we should never make any change that is irreversible because that's called existentialism. And you never should, Jeff Bezos said it this way. He said, never make bet the company bets. He goes, I'm risk adverse, but I'll never make bet the company bets. And so you want to make sure that you're Big changes are reversible. Number eight, is this the best, most obvious solution to the problem? Am I over-engineering it? Is it too complex? Is it the best and most obvious solution? Number nine, does this have short and long-term benefits? Meaning when I have this change man management process, do my constituents, consumers, clients, members, customers, whatever you call them, right away, do they get a benefit? Because they're going to need one right away. They're going to need some small wins right away. And then make sure that those are a long-term benefit as well. Number 10, can the leadership team handle the change? Do I have the right asses in the right seats? Do I have the right bus with full tires, with a you know, well-oiled engine, with windshield wipers that work, taillights that work? You know, Are we all seated the right way? Are we going in the right direction on the right bus with all the right working parts? Can the leadership team handle it? And then finally, number 11, is it the right time? Are we too early? Remember Vine and Vine popped and it made a bunch of people famous? There's this thing back that nobody remembers a long time ago called Polavision. And it was a Polaroid product. And it was the same concept, but like 30 years too early and way too complex. And just the wrong time for an idea, a wrong time for innovation. Nobody's heard of that, you know, that venture because it didn't pop like mine did. And so that's an example of like how I think about going through 11 questions. Uh, asking myself this, asking our team so that we can, uh, you know, practically use this as a tool, almost like a filter to help us never optimize things that shouldn't exist. How do you go about answering some of those questions and getting confidence behind those questions? So for instance, let's, let's dig into how do I know I'm not overcomplicating it? So what, what did that process look like for you to say, Hey, is this the most obvious, simple solution to the problem? So you've got, you know, no, the answer to your question is question, the questions, right? Like, so you can't sit in a room by yourself and solve all the world's problems. And so what we did, what we do at Burn and Burn Brands is we create war, what we call war rooms. Going back to my, going back to my analogy up front, 
we create war rooms, all right? And when we have a big project like this, I'm like the MC of the war room or like the maestro of the band. And my only tool is a question. I am not, I put my, I put a self-imposed limitation that I am not allowed to answer any of these questions because I'm an entrepreneur, right? I am not a manager. I am not a CEO. I'm not a CEO. I'm not a CFO. I'm an entrepreneur. And it's got to be very clear that the visionary in my organization is, doesn't have the answers, but has the vision. And so I use this war room and then I bring bodies of structured individuals, or this could be, you know, if you're a smaller entity, could be like a focus group or could be your friends or your family members that have tried your product. But at this stage of the game, I've got bodies of like governance. I've got a franchise advisory council, FAC. I've got a marketing advisory council, MAC. I've got my 11 people plus my CEO and my leadership team. And so, and then I've got all of my director levels and everyone underneath them that are decision makers on these projects. And so we don't put it into any normal cadences, normal meeting cadences, annually, quarterly, weekly. That's for normal operations, right? What we do is we create war rooms. I bring these people together and then I, I basically post questions to let them fight it out. So, hey, somebody raise their hand and tell me, tell me why this is too complex, okay? Oh, this is too complex because, you know, there's nobody here that understands data engineering. Okay, so then does it sound like we need a vendor? Okay, what are the best vendors that we could have for data engineering? Oh, Ironside Group. I know they did Planet Fitnesses with that uh, app. Would that be somebody be interested to talk to? All right, who in here is gonna get me by next Friday two vendors that I can, that are great vendors that are tried and true. You better bring me good ones, by the way, right? That I can, I can meet with, right? And so this, you can see how this would go in a war room setting where I'm bringing the energy. Like I'm asking questions. I'm like, what do you got? What do you got? You know, do you agree with that? How do we disagree with that? What was wrong about that? What was right about that? What should we start doing? What should we stop doing? And so in addition to the 11 questions that I use as like the filter, I go into these war rooms and I am just hammering this group with questions until we get there. And it's my job. Uh, my questions start really broad and a great leader will dial that question asking down, down the funnel until they get concise and clear answers that nobody can uh, necessarily or fundamentally disagree with. And then it be doesn't become my idea, it becomes the group's idea. And oftentimes the group's idea is better than my idea, or it was, an elevated version of my idea because I brought smarter people together. And so we can't, I think entrepreneurs can save the world collectively, but you know, we've got to do it with our teams. I love this. And this to me is just leadership gold because I know as a high energy entrepreneur visionary, the risk that you have of being the idea guy is that everyone in your organization comes to you for the solution and you eliminate the creative thinking of the group. And so the word that I kept coming back to as I was listening to you was empowerment. Empowerment, empowerment, empowerment. Because you're empowering them to apply creative thinking, innovation, strategy, good business judgment, which at the end of the day, like you said, gives you a better solution. But it also helps your people feel more, more purposeful in their work and like they're having an impact, which helps your retention. And you end up with, a stronger, more savvy group of people in your organization. And so I just see it as a, we, we've talked about this concept on, on the last few episodes, you get this flywheel 
this positive flywheel of ideas, of high potential talent and leaders who are a big impact player. So I, I love that this is your approach. And I'm super curious, how have you seen this impact your people from like a personal development perspective and just an employee engagement perspective and, and things like that? Yeah, when you give up trust to your people and you allow them to make decisions and you allow them to fail with no fear, well, then what happens is you walk into the office as the entrepreneur and your job gets easier, right? Like it's, it, it's very, it's like every entrepreneur knows this, right? The first three to five years, I mean, it's a true grind. Like it's not a grind all the time. If it's a grind all the time, then like after five years, then you're not doing something right as an entrepreneur, right? It should be a different type of grind. But if you're building up a, fi a five-year history of people that trust in you, that you trust in them and that they're able to make decisions on behalf of the company, you should walk in one day and like look around the office and people should be emulating you and they should be flying around, asking each other questions, holding each other accountable, uh, getting shit done without having to, uh, you know, break up, uh, you know, uh, how would you say like discipline people for going off the line on core values or, you know, gossiping in the office or anything like that. If you do your job the right way, you walk in one day and you're like, man, I just spent five years grinding. And now I walk into my office and everybody else is better at their job than I am. And now I have to go find net new things to do. And that is to me what a true entrepreneurial spirit is. Um, you know, some entrepreneurs, I think, are really intrapreneurs. They're like, they want to be CEOs. They want to be COOs. But the true entrepreneurs are never that. They're always up and out hiring C-suites in to be the fire keepers, and they're the fire starters. And so, yeah, I mean, that's what comes to mind when you say that is me walking in the office, seeing people emulate their leader in me and, and um, holding people accountable, trusting people the same way that I would. And that's how you build a culture. And if your job's still, if you're still grinding after 10 years, you're not doing something right. You know, Devin, the best leader that I've ever worked with, um, guy named Mike Simons, he is a COO of a fortune 500 company. What made him so great was he was brilliant. Everybody knows that he's one of the smartest people in the room, any room he's in, but he never used his positional authority or his brilliance to intimidate or overshadow the people around him. Instead, everything he was doing is exactly what you just told us, which is it was he was asking great questions. He wasn't he wasn't necessarily leading a horse to water. Even he was literally asking incredible questions. And that funnel that you talked about of like, hey, you started with these broad questions, but then you had this ability to be able to narrow it down and ask, ask, ask follow-up questions that actually end up uncovering better ideas that your original idea than you could have otherwise done because of the skill that you developed around, around asking questions. So I think that's huge for listeners to take away. The other big thing I wanted to hit on um, that you mentioned was this importance of having small wins for a team as you're going through a big change. Can you talk just a little more about that? Unpack that. What does that look like for you? Maybe even in this in this big investment that you're making right now with the app, what does it look like to try to get those small wins early? Yeah, so small wins to me is a philosophy that stem really from our fit from the fitness side of what we do because obviously that's our bread and butter and that's our and that's our product, right? That's what you know. Product to me is the differentiator. I'm the fitness product engineer for our company, 
And so I'm all eyeballs on it all the time. And this was a philosophy that was really born there as, you know, if you've ever tried to go on a health transformation or health journey, it's very similar to like change management and business and, you know, and uh, appreciating your people and all these things, because there are, there are small things. There are, you guys have probably heard this concept before. I really like it. It's lagging indicators versus leading indicators. And so you have these lagging indications um, or these leading indications rather in fitness, let's say if you're trying to, you know, do a pull-up, right? Well, how many times did you work out, uh, you know, over the last six months? That's one input. You know, did you eat the calories that were going to put your body in a slight deficit so that you could lose body mass so that you could end up getting up on the pull-up bar? Uh, you know, were you, were you recovering? Uh, did you uh, skip any workouts, right? There's all of these leading inputs that people already know by the time they get to the in game or the, you know, it's game time. They try to get up on the pull-up bar and do it. They already know whether they're going to do it or not based on all of the work and time and energy and effort that put in. And so what we try to do is award every step along that way with recognition, appreciation, showing people how important they are. Think about it this way. I, I think that everyone has a giant sign on their chest that says, I want to be loved. I want to be appreciated. I want to be important and I want to be admired. And so I visualize that as I'm walking around the office. And when we're talking about the app, right? And we're doing our screen design, our UX UI development, right? And, you know, or we're doing the Domo, you know, it's rather boring, but it's a, a Domo is our business intelligence tool. We do like a you know, a, a, a schematic of what the report was going to look like. And they're showing me different design elements of it. Or when we have a new little icon for, you know, when our app shows up in the Apple store, you know, do you like this one or do you like that one? And all of these little decisions that ended up culminating into the app, I made sure that I celebrated those small wins along the way, because I knew if we were to do the right things along the way, celebrate the small wins, that positive reinforcement would make them crave more of those of that reinforcement from the small wins and if you add up all the small wins compounded you're going to get up on the bar and you're going to do the pull-up right you're going to launch the app and it's going to be a great application and yeah so i always make it a point to walk around my office like even after this podcast before my next meeting i make it a point to have about 10 minutes between meetings so that i can walk around the office and uh, i can go uh to up to any one of our employees. We're a very flat organization in this way. And I can ask, start asking them questions around what's going on. You know, hey, what are you working on today that's going to impact the company? What do you think is the most important thing? Hey, do you see any problems this week that, you know, we didn't have a solution for? What are your strategies? And all of these conversations are building the people because the people build businesses, right? I think we forget that sometimes. The business doesn't just build itself. People actually build business. And People have a sign on their chest that say, I want to be loved. I want to be appreciated. I want to be important. I want to be admired. So I just never forget that. And I never forget small wins. And I never forget asking great questions. Amazing. What kept coming to mind for me there is that encouragement builds courage. And when you continue to do that and give that positive affirmation to people, they are more likely to take more risks and continue to engage. And like you said, the people build the company. And so when you have, courageous people, you're going to have a courageous company that really disrupts its industry and adds a ton of value to its customers and its members. I love that. Isn't, isn't Kevin, trust gonna... courageous too? Isn't trust courageous too? Like so, so many people think that it's not like associated and giving up 
trust to other people is one of, in my opinion, the most courageous acts that you can do as a leader because there's big implications if it doesn't go your way. And that trickles back down to what you're saying. And I just made that connection now. Sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to get that off my mind because I think it's a, I think that's right. I think giving trust is very yeah. courageous. And, you know, yeah. and that how you cascade down courage in your organization is by giving the trust we were talking about earlier. Mm. That's so good. So good. Devin, we'll get you out of here on these questions. The first one is this. If you could sit down and have lunch with any leader in the world, past or present, who would it be and why? Benjamin Franklin, because he was a writer, an inventor, a politician. He was a, he was a adventurous guy. He mean, the amount of times he sailed back and forth, uh, you know, across uh, to Europe and back. Uh, I, I read it. I, I listened to actually his autobiography that uh, Will uh, uh, Walter, I believe his name, Walter Isaacson wrote. And I was blown away by how contemporary this gentleman was like in like the late 1700s. He could like, he could write a book today and it would be, you know, it'd be popular. So it'd be him. And then probably if I had to give a close second, uh, probably, ooh, Marcus Aurelius, maybe. <laughs> yeah. This man, those two guys. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, next question for you is around a BHAG, Devin, you strike me as somebody I can't, can't fully tell, but you seem a little bit driven in your life. Um, do you have, is there any, is there any BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal that's personal to you these days, business or otherwise that you're going after? Oh yeah. It's called to the moon around here. So we've got, so our, our whole theme, I'm obsessed with like SpaceX and what they do. And obviously any, if you're an entrepreneur and you don't look up to Elon Musk, it's like, it's like being a basketball player, and not looking up to Michael Jordan, right? Like he's the goat. And what the, some of the things that this guy is doing is absolutely incredible. And I was inspired by it. And so I'm like, Hey, what's the biggest possible dream that I could conceive of that I actually think is realistic that we could achieve. And that was to build 10,000 units and then have every feasible community that can support a burn bootcamp on this planet, uh, have one. And then, you know, I know Elon's probably going to build a, uh, some type of, uh, some type of space research center on the moon over the next few decades here. And so maybe I can be involved in some of the fitness related, health related, uh, biological related interactions, uh, for humans on the moon. So I'm dead serious about this and I will, I will take it to my grave. I'm going to put it out there. I think you should put it out there. I think people should put it out there, put your flag in the ground, like whatever that dream is that's in here that you've kept the lid on for so many years, because whatever reason. Maybe you're scared yourself. You're scared of how capable you are. You're scared of judgment of what other people might. Maybe you don't think you're capable. You can't get there. Whatever it is, my, my whole call to action for y'all today is like, let the lid off, let it open, let it out because you know, you get 29,700 days on average. And so what are we going to do with it? You know, and it's, uh, that BHAG, that big, hairy, audacious goal for me is to be the largest, most impactful uh, fitness concept that this planet's ever seen. And, you know, Morgan and I've been building it for 11 years now. We're 36 and, uh, we have 545 territories awarded total. So the remainder will open, you'll probably have 500 open by 2025. And that was my goal to get to 500 before I really opened up the levers on development worldwide to make sure we had a solid business model that our franchise partners here domestically in the U S, um, were very proud of right back to our two chairs that they're very proud of 
and that is making their lives more wonderful. Well, um, I can picture it now, burn boot camp in Mars, on Mars, in Elon <laughs> Musk's uh, colony up there. Um, my wife, by the way, I didn't, I should have mentioned this in the beginning, in her community have already been so impacted by the burn boot camp in our hometown around Orlando, Florida and Claremont. So you guys are doing incredible work and it really is back to like the, the purpose of this show is about leading on purpose, being driven by a why, your why comes out. Yes, you're, you're, you're driven to win in business, but the why behind actually serving people and helping them gain the skill of confidence, that's incredible. It's the next level. It's not just about the physical health. It's also about their personal growth and their psyche, um, their spirit. That's, that's incredible, man. So thanks so much for being a part of the show. Where can people find you? Yeah, for the last 10 years, I've been making health and fitness content and helping my franchise partners with their businesses. And like I said, my team is now doing that at a better clip than I ever could. And so I actually started a YouTube channel just teaching entrepreneurship through that lens of people first, you know, and taking all of these concepts and teaching and trying to apply it to build a great culture that really makes people's life better. And, you know, I know a lot of the listeners, we want to make more money. We want to be wealthy. That shouldn't be something that we're scared to talk about, but we should be looking at it through how do I impact the most amount of people possible? How do I make their lives wonderful? And, and, you know, people will be happy to pay you in return. They'll be happy. I'm happy to pay my cell phone bill to iPhone every month. I'm happy to pay my gym memberships, you know, and things like that. And so, yeah, we're find me on YouTube. Uh, I'll release a video Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. It's my side hustle. I'm working the business like 80 to 90 hours a week, every week. And we build in about four to six hours to shoot, shoot some content every week. And just in October this year. So we'll see where it goes. Amazing. Amazing. You're, you're doing great work, man. Love, love, love seeing everything you've done and everything you're doing. Can't wait to continue to follow your impact. Thanks so much for, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Devin. All right, Chad, th Blake, thanks. You guys, I appreciate what you're doing and uh, I'll, I'll be back soon if you'll have me. Heck yeah. Peace, man. If you enjoyed this episode, the best thing you can do is be a river, not a reservoir. Who could you share this with that can also get value from it as well? Until next time, keep leading on purpose. Peace.